I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is Ecclesiastical New Year's Eve, where we are at the end of the church year and we are going to begin the new church year next week. And so today is the feast of the reign of Christ, or the old version was Christ the King. And so we think of the kingdom of God, and it particularly focuses on this notion of the second coming, that at some point in the future, in the fullness of time, Christ will come again and inaugurate a reign of peace and justice on earth. And uh, so this is the day where we, we reflect on those themes, the theme of the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom of which Christ is the king. And the, uh, the readings give an interesting uh, sort of historical trajectory, uh, at least they do when I reflected on them, because it starts in Jeremiah, uh, in that in Jeremiah you get that sort of primal, the, the primal desires out of which the idea of the Messiah developed, um, where all of us, by being human, just want to live in a society that is peaceful, secure, and just when you know evil is punished and good is rewarded and everything is the way it should be and in jeremiah you know they they had a theocracy they had a, the kingdom of israel that was built on the priesthood and the the commandments and so forth and they uh, they they were jeremiah was looking at the end of that period of history and seeing babylonians massed on the borders ready to take them over and the conclusion, not unreasonably, was that the reason we are about to be taken over is that we've abandoned the covenant. The, the teachers have fallen away from what the true teachings are, and so we broke the deal. And because we broke the deal, God will not save us from our enemies now the way God has done in the past. But, says Jeremiah, God is not going to give up on us. There will be consequences to our actions, but in the future there will always be an Israel. There will be a remnant of Israel, and God will gather that Israel together with a new leader, a righteous leader, a just leader, a Messiah. And so that you know, is part of the early development of that longing for a Messiah to come to rescue Israel and bring that political, um, earthly, this-worldly sense of peace, order, security, and justice. And it was into those expectations that Jesus stepped when Jesus came. And so you have the gospel of, uh, of, of this incredible juxtaposition of Jesus hanging on the cross, being executed as a criminal, with all this language of messiahship and kingship, as if the expectations are all being loaded onto Jesus in the midst of the, you know, this complete repudiation of what those expectations were. And yet, as Christians, we say Jesus is the Messiah. Christ is the King. That is our King. His throne is the cross. And so we reinterpreted the nature of that Messiahship, what the reign of Christ looks like. It's not that earlier idea of what the Messiah would do, a restored Israel politically and so forth. It is something different than that. And the Christian conversation took two directions, which existed in some tension with each other, but no one side ever, ever overtook the other. And both sides of this equation were that, at some level, the kingdom of God already exists. Um, it's a spiritual reality. It is a reality beyond time and space. It is the kind of reality about which we might imagine that there is a heaven where we go when we die. And Christ is seated at the right hand of God in heaven 
And so heaven is a, a, a place that exists outside of space and time that already exists right now. It is a kingdom in which Christ is the king and which we join after our life on earth. And that's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is, and there's still this sense of Christ coming again in history at some point in the future. And we held both of those together. I mean, I, I was raised in the Book of Common Prayer where we talked about things until he comes again, you know, so that the life of the church, you know, very much embedded in that language is we're just hanging on to things while we wait for Christ to come. And when Christ comes again, we won't need no church because all the work will be done. And so I can hang up my collar and we can all get on with the business of being citizens of that kingdom in its fullest sense. And so there's this looking forward within history to some second coming, some coming of Christ as the king in a historical political sense. And those two things lived alongside each other and they live in some tension with each other. And of course the business of waiting and wa uh, wanting an earthly kingdom of peace and justice never leaves the human condition. I still wish for that and long for that and I'm sure you do too. So we, we live in this world and then what, what, what we built in the Middle Ages was Christendom, where how we held those two things together is we developed this notion of heaven and hell and this, this heavenly reward or punishment or temporary punishment in purgatory, and we had this whole system worked out about how we understood what happened to the soul so that we were holding together this idea of God as being perfectly just but also compassionate. Um, and at the same time, we had this notion of the church as building on earth uh, a, a, uh, something that approaches or approximates that political vision of the kingdom of heaven. And because of the way European history went, the church and the, the state became so intertwined that we started to identify that earthly sense of the kingdom as the political project. And there was a sense in which we in the church felt that God was working with us in history to build that second coming so that by the time Jesus came, Jesus would just have to sit down in the throne that we'd already prepared. Peace and justice had been established, the church had done its job, and all we need now is for Jesus to put the cap on it. And, and so there was this sense of God working in history to bring about that kingdom, which you know, perfection still lived in the future, but the, the Christian nations were developing that understanding. And of course, as we now know, Christendom had a dark side. Um, that that hand-in-glove relationship between church and state led to a, a falling away from the purity of the vision of what that kingdom looked like, and we settled for politics as they were. And worse still, we identified our political and ethnic and tribal identities with the Christian kingdom of God. So in the colonial period, when the great powers of Europe spread around the globe, the Christian missionaries, we were right there with them, sometimes in advance of the first settlers, the first secular settlers, um, to bring the light of the gospel to the world as we understood it, but not have, being able to separate the gospel from European culture. Uh, and so uh, Lawrence isn't here today, but our, my, our, my good friend Lawrence Priest uh, grew up, born in India, little town in India, with a Portuguese last name, attending Catholic mass, wearing robes, and singing in English, in India, right? And this, this is the colonial project, that we are going to make good little 
English-speaking Catholics out of these people, and that was part and parcel of the same project. And we've now come to the end of that period. Christendom is done. We now can no longer pretend that the kingdom of God has much to do with the earthly, secular, political world. And I don't think we know what it means again. We, we know what it doesn't mean, but we still don't know as a church what we think about the kingdom of God in holding together those two sides of the now and the not yet. And so there is a, we, we, we know that there is a spiritual sense of the kingdom of God, that there is something bigger than this life that we can participate on in on this side of the grave, but that we go to participate in more fully after we die. And we still have that very much as an operating theology within our church. And we still have an operating theology of trying to approximate the kingdom in our life on earth, in our relationships with each other, and our work in the broader community. So those still live there, but we still we still struggle with what that looks like now that Christendom is gone. And I believe that a lot of our struggles in the church are trying to disentangle things that have been so entangled that we can't see where one ends and the other begins between the, the Christendom project and the kingdom of heaven. And we're still arguing about it, trying to figure it out. So it's into that context that is the one thing I want to share with you. The one thought I have, which is the basis of this sermon. I, I just take a while to get there, but I only have one thought to share. Uh, the, the one thought is that as we try to figure out what the kingdom of God looks like now that we've left Christendom behind, the value of Christ the King Sunday is precisely in who is our king. So the way forward, even if we can't see it, for what the church is going to be in the 21st century and beyond, it has to be following Jesus. It's that simple. And as long as we keep Jesus as the king, then we get the clues as to the direction we need to go. And so we look at who Jesus is. And like the early Jews, who saw Christ on the cross and said, we think he's the Messiah, but we don't understand this, we too can say, we think Jesus is the Messiah, but we don't understand what's happened to the church and what our new place in the world is. But like the earliest Christians who followed Jesus' teachings and remembered his story and kept telling it to each other and to their children and reflecting on the nature of Jesus and building what we now have as Christian theology, we have that task in front of us as a 21st century church, but we have to keep Jesus at the center. So I say this in an Anglican church where we're not comfortable saying the J word. We're happy to talk about God. We are less comfortable talking about Jesus. And so my challenge, and I, I preach at myself too, is we need to say Jesus more. We need to pray to Jesus more. We need to listen to Jesus more because Jesus is the king. There's nothing that needs to change about that. There's no contextual change in our society that requires us to drop the idea of Jesus. And as we head into the Christmas season, um, and as I, I'm, still, uh, I'm, I'm still on social media, I'm sorry. I, I, I may just quit at some point because it's so toxic. But, once again, now that American Thanksgiving is done, it's the war on Christmas season. And the war on Christmas, you know, ugh, this nonsense that thinks that trees and lights and presents 
and saying happy holidays is somehow an attack on who we are and what we stand for. And it is so cross-purposes. As we move into that season, what's interesting to me is that the, the aggressive words online that want to throw Christianity in the dumpster. You know, we're not, you know, it, it has nothing to do with this. We just don't want Christianity to be in charge anymore. Fine. Um, I, I never thought we were for the last 30 years, but okay, that's fine. But even those angry voices on the internet that have nothing good to say about Christianity still have good things to say about Jesus. Jesus has managed to keep his good name despite our best efforts. So that's just the, the other thought that ties in with Christ being the king, and it's okay for Christ to be the king. Christ needs to be the king. There's energy there. There is a connection to God that is accessible through Jesus to this day, no matter how modern your paradigm. So, Christ the King Sunday, as we move into Advent, when we start talk, singing about the Prince of Peace and what the kingdom of God looks like in the, in the image of the person and the, the manger, um, it's that same image. It's humble it's empty, it looks nothing like the earthly powers, but nonetheless, that is our king, that is who we follow. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.